Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Under Consultation is brought to you in part by our wonderful Patreon backers over at patreon.com forward slash underconsultpod. We want to thank all of you who have backed us during these trying times and they're being rewarded by getting to hear next week's show a week early and ad-free. If you want to join them, head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod. Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video games challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, often confused with a big blob of jelly. And girding my mouse fingers, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 15th of October 1992, and our number one film at the box office is Thunderhearts. There's been a homicide on Indian land. They sent him to a foreign land. What's my cover? In the middle of America. You're going in there as who you are. An American Indian federal officer. To uncover the truth. Federal officer, hands on your head. Do it. What's your name? Sure as hell ain't Geronimo, Chief. I think maybe you guys got off the wrong exit, yeah? You looking for Mount Rushmore? Who are you? Walter Crowhorse, tribal police. <laughs> Must be the Indian FBI. That's right. Oh, what nation? Ray, they're your own people, aren't they? They are not my people. Hey, look, the Washington Redskins. This continues the trend of movies that we completely forgot about <laughs> making it to number one for one week and then disappearing. We are in Oscar season, essentially. We are in Oscar season. This film did win a couple of awards, uh, including a couple from uh, Native American, I think, based organisations or bodies for its portrayal of what essentially was uh, based on a true story. Yeah, it's based on yeah, stories from the 70s, um, uh, the reservation occurrences. Uh, but yeah, it was what directed by uh, Michael Abtafal Kilmer. It's got a fairly good cast with Graham Greene in there. So yeah, as you say, it's based on relatively true stories or, you know, occurrences around these sort of reservations. And it's an FBI agent going there and kind of discovering his heritage, like his mixed heritage. 
This is a continuation of a trend at that time where Hollywood was kind of falling in love with native or aboriginal uh, wisdom because uh, a year or so recently or around the same time you had Medicine Man um, Dances with Wolves I was going to say Dances, yeah Dances with Wolves kind of marked a point in history it changed the dynamic of a western because traditionally up until that point westerns did not portray Native Americans favourably to the point where they weren't called Native Americans, they were called Indians. Yeah. Still, right up until that point. Dances with Wolves turned it on its head where white man was portrayed as a savage and the Native Americans were portrayed as more civilised. But Thunderheart actually has a lot in common with Dances with Wolves. White lawman, Native American guide played by a Canadian. There's a lot of <laughs> yeah. parallels going on here. But it was also very well received. As we mentioned, it won some awards. It was in the um, Oscar season. It was uh, filmed in South Dakota, which is a, a beautiful yeah. area of America and wonderfully cinematic and entirely fits the film. I confess, I don't have much to say about it as a film. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before we recorded this. No. Or I... even watch it for the first time, actually. Now, I am about 74% certain I've seen it but it would have been when it aired on terrestrial television in the 90s. Yeah, no, the late 90s, yeah. Probably on BBC One on a Friday at about 10 o'clock. Yeah. It feels like that kind of vibe. That was the way you got a lot of the not big budget films, but the lower budget films. Tremors. First saw Tremors there. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, where Thunderheart did fall down, it was still a Hollywood film. And therefore, for all their attempts to flip the genre on its head, much as Dances with Wolves had done... It's still part of the Hollywood machine. It's still got all the issues that still exist until this day. So it's still got also some of the issues that were present with our film from a while back, City of Joy. Yeah. Yeah, I've got very little to say about it. Uh, much in the same way that we've got The Shaman, Ebenezer Good, still number one in the chart. I think it's its final week at uh, the number one position. It's getting pretty close to it being its final week. You know, at the end of the year, Spotify give you your top played tracks of the year. I know Ebenezer Good is going to be in mind for 2020, even though at the time of recording this, we're only a month or so in. <laughs> yeah. My favourite anecdotal story that I saw about this was when they performed it on Top of the Pops. And it was when, during the song, they were going to ask if anyone had any salmon. <laughs> yeah. Salmon skins for the rollies. And he was like, oh, that is kind of relating to drugs because roll-ups. I know. I'll say underlay. <laughs> immediately the sensors leapt upon it and going that's a drug reference that's a drug reference he's like well, what do you mean it's like well underlay like speedy gonzalez you're talking about speed <laughs> and he's like no it's underlay it's a rug reference yeah i love that because i'm a big fan of puns and i'm a big fan of subtle drug references but also i'm really impressed by how screwed up the bbc sensors were where they were literally seeing monsters in the shadows of it's got to be Speedy Gonzalez. It's got to be. He's trying to get the kids hopped up on pills. Call the Daily Mail. I've actually got one um, uh, anecdote to tell you about this because this happened to me quite recently. But I was on the tube on the central line coming into Stratford and graffitied on the train was... Amazing. I'm being shown a picture of a door with ease a good, ease a good. Ebenezer... Ebenezer are good. Yeah, it's not spelled right. <laughs> oh. yeah. But I was just, I was just looked up from my laptop. I was like, it's the lyrics to Ebenezer good, which is very weird because we're talking about that on the podcast. Ebenezer sounds like a deeply problematic supervillain. Yeah. Yeah. They've written Ebenezer. 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 Zar. Good. Good. 
maybe he is. Maybe, maybe he is. Um, we haven't got any big games coming out this week, but it's our first trip into the magazines for Series 2, Ash. We're now three weeks into Season 2, and by this point, I imagine people have gone, when are you going to mention Superplay? When are you going to mention Superplay? It's week two. Why haven't you mentioned Superplay? It's week three. Guess what? It's week three. We're going to talk about Superplay because October 1992, Superplay launched onto the magazine scene and for my money at least, changed it because this wasn't just a games magazine. This was a games magazine that focused on non-mainstream genre games, that focused on import games. The Super Nintendo really was the time when the import market took off. Now, my first import game may have been for the Game Boy, but by golly, as soon as I got an action replay for the Super Nintendo, I was importing games whenever I could afford to, which wasn't often because <laughs> bloody hell they were expensive. They were pricey. I remember the first import game I had for the Super Nintendo was Fatal Fury. Oh, lovely. No, <laughs> no. That was a mistake. Yeah, it doesn't hold up that game. It doesn't, no. The Super Nintendo port in particular wasn't great. No. But it was lovely to have that option and Super Play definitely fed that addiction. We've got another episode or so where we can go into the contents of some of that issue, and I'm sure we will. We won't be 100% Super Play from now on because we've got Games Master, the magazine, coming up. Oh, yeah, very soon, in fact. In January, we get that. And while Me Machines is now firmly in the realm of a single-platform magazine, we've still got CVG out there providing multi-platform coverage. I mean, of course, Super Play wasn't just about games. They also really picked into Japanese culture, pop culture, anime, and manga. This came out at the end of 1992. Um, sometime early in the next year, we had the arrival of Manga Mania. And I went full otaku at that point. <laughs> I was just like, give me everything. What's that? 10.99 for a single episode of The Giver? <laughs> sure. But I loved it. It really opened my eyes. And I think... If not for the like of Superplay and Mangamania, I probably wouldn't be where I am now, certainly in pop culture awareness. I'm entirely fine with that. And the covers, the covers are what people seem to remember the most. They were done by Will Overton, yeah. who followed us recently on Twitter. But from the magazine itself, just something from the very first introduction where they talk about what's going to make them different. But the thing I love the most is right at the end you've got the editor Matt going suffice to say we're into this Super NES business for the long haul and we hope that you're going to be too for both Super Play and the Super NES the best is yet to come he was right on both counts but then underneath this just bought this issue then phone us now now you've bought the first issue of Super Play we want to know exactly what you think of it we'll be here in the Super Play offices until 10.30pm on Thursday the 1st of October the day this issue went on sale whoa if you've just read it, why not phone us up and tell us what you think? Good, bad, or ugly. All ideas will be gratefully received. That's fun. I know. I just really read that. cool. And I'm like, one, that's brave. I mean, 1992, it's less brave than trying that now. You know, I live in fear of what messages we end up, <laughs> may end up with on our number. <laughs> but that was really opening themselves up and also, I think, a really refreshing take i love that yeah. I, I think that's a lovely idea and also shows how earnest they were there is an article out there i want to say it's on nintendo life who of course did a lovely interview with us on the origins of Superplay. i heartily recommend going out there and seeking it out Superplay redefined what a magazine could be and it's telling they marched to the beat of their own drum 
but a couple of riffs were stolen by other magazines down the line. Yeah, yeah. There, there were definitely segments that other magazines, magazines that we may feature, saw what Superplay were doing and went, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. Yeah, we're heading into a really interesting period now because we have not only got both the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo out in the UK, we, so we're heading for like this big home console market boom. We're heading for a magazine boom as well. The console war wasn't just restricted to the publishers. Absolutely the magazine not. war, for the most part, they managed to coexist. But there was one very, very important difference, which is highlighted here. You had Me Machine Sega licensed. You had Nintendo Magazine System licensed. But unless you were licensed, you were not going to use the words Nintendo or Sega. And for a magazine like Superplay that was focusing so heavily on what was thought of as the grey import market, Nintendo weren't going to give them that seal of approval. Thank you very much. Thank you and welcome to Games Master, a truly swashbuckling blend of video game news, tips, reviews and challenges. Coming to you from our special offshore camp where men are men and the halibut get nervous. Well, we're going to get a lot of SNES action in this episode, which oh. kicks off with Dominic Diamond obviously raining outside in the games rig because he's coming in with his coat and hat to uh, welcome us into this truly swashbuckling blend of TV show. I was like ready for Alec Baldwin to be <laughs> under the coat and hat. I'm like, are we going to get the shadow? Is the shadow going to come in and clean up crime on the games rig? Is that what's going to happen? He disposes it with a nice little flourish, though. He definitely kind of whips it off. Yeah, it's so very, very nice. Uh, <laughs> he tells us that the games rig is where men are men and the halibut are nervous. Fish f joke? <laughs> I don't know what it could be. I mean, uh, why else would the haddock be nervous? If men are men, they're full of testosterone, and apparently that means fish should be nervous. Well, Auntie Marie, she's going to catch them and cook them. That's what she's going to do. So not a fish f joke. I don't think... Yeah. I'm keeping your sensor button busy this episode. Fish f <laughs> <laughs> So let's find out what our first challenge is from old Chrome Dome himself, the Games Master. Hello, and welcome to the Games Rig. I hope you are comfortably settled in. I thought we'd spring into action this week with a jolly caper on Super Mario World. The level I've set aside is Donut Plains 1. Your assignment is to collect 200 coins and exit the level in less than 1 minute 15 seconds. Oh, it's our first challenge on Super Mario World. This show is going from strength to strength. <laughs> we talked about Super Mario World on episode one. We're going to talk about it here again. Spoilers, we're going to talk about it in the future. After watching this challenge, I had some work that I needed to take care of that wasn't related because I don't always make the notes in one sitting. I wanted some music to listen to. I went to YouTube and I put the Super Mario World score on because by jingo, this is a score with a heart. This is a score with identity. This is a score that takes that sound chip in the Super Nintendo and makes it sing. There are instruments in here that has never touched a Mario game before. It's an it's bongos. Yeah. Uh, but our challenge here is that you, on Donut Plains 1, you've got to collect 200 coins and complete the level in one minute and 15 seconds. Now, you said to me before we came in that you've got some trivia that you wanted to drop on me. Now, this game is generally regarded as the best Mario game. I would say it. There's so many tropes it sets up. It takes what happened in Mario 3 and arguably the American Mario 2, which the American Mario 2 saw a graphical shift that would carry over into Mario 3. And then this polishes, refines it, gives them a much broader color palette, introduces Yoshi, just brings 
everything up a notch and therefore it is regarded probably as one of the best Mario games of all time. Certainly one of the most accessible, easy to complete, difficult to master. Completely. However, Miyamoto says that he felt the game was incomplete <laughs> and development was rushed towards the end because Nintendo were catching up with Sega. The Mega Drive was two years old. They already had Sonic and Mario was cute. Yeah. It's still cute. Yeah. Sonic was... He was fast. He was cool. He was daddy cool. He was. He had that Bill Clinton and get can do it attitude. It's really interesting. In Blake Harris's uh, book Console Wars, it's also about when they got the import of the Super Nintendo, the Super Famicom, with Super Mario World, and they sent Al Nielsen home to play it because it's before they'd released Sonic, and they went home and they were like, you know, Nielsen played it over the weekend, came back, completed it, and he said, he goes, do you know what? It's the same old Mario. It's not as good as Sonic. Which I thought was a very, very interesting take because I, as much as I love that original Sonic the Hedgehog, and you know, it was absolutely groundbreaking for its time in 91, this feels like such a bigger game. In fact, because it is a bigger game. You've got a massive overworld to explore. Sonic is an amazing game. I'll never take anything away from Sonic. Please don't kill us. But it's a great gaming experience. It's very fast. It's nippy. It's got beautiful design. It's also got standing music. Mario World to me has more heart. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of immensely remarkable technological achievements in the Sonic games, the speed it runs at, but even in the PAL with the 50, 60 hertz slowdown issue. But despite apparently being unfinished, Mario World just feels like so much love and care went into it and so much heart and it does so much world building even yoshi was in there because Miyamoto loved horse riding and so they ended up kind of building that in to the game mm. and they created i think the first mario character to get his own spin-off game it, it took a few years it was a super fx enabled game it was uh, yoshi's island which then went on to have multiple sequels but it still happened mm -hmm. and he also appeared in the very very soon to appear Mario Kart. Yeah, we're not far off from Mario Kart, actually, are we? No, it's already being previewed, and I think it may already be out there in Japan. Yeah, well, we get it in this series. We get a challenge of Mario Kart. It was a good time to be a Nintendo fan. It really was. It really was. You mentioned it was bought, and it came as the pack-in for this. But it occurred to me while you were saying that, that this generation, the Super Nintendo, the Mega Drive, kind of marks the end of the pack-in game. Hmm. It started to turn around more recently, as I'm sure people will be shouting at this podcast. But for a while, you bought a console and that was it. Yeah. If you wanted a game at launch, you had to plonk an extra 40, 50 quid down. And also you ran the risk of them not having the game you wanted, which is why my Nintendo 64 came with Shadows of the Empire. And I didn't get Mario 64 for a good couple of weeks. And donning the mantle of everybody's favourite plumber is Catherine Allen from Guernsey. <laughs> now, Catherine, tell me something interesting about Guernsey. Oh, well, the people are friendly and there's lovely beaches and the computer games are cheaper. That was three. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. We won't worry about that. All right, now, Catherine, how have you been doing in practice? Oh, well, I've been doing okay. I think I'll do it. Okay, well, if you'd like to sit yourself down, we'll see if you can crack this challenge. Well, I can tell you someone who got their game on day of release, and that's Catherine Allen from Guernsey, who's going to be playing this game. Now, is Catherine our first solo female player? 
Because we've had female players, like we had Dolat in Series 1, and we had a couple of, um, you know, the brother and sister combo. But we haven't had a solo female player as of yet. No, I think you're correct. And she's she's confident. She bounces her way down. She's got some amazing earrings as well. Yeah. she's got, She's got some bold, proud fashion sense on display and i'm not saying that to rib i'm just like there is someone that is confident with their look yeah she's very giggly very confident the exact word i wrote down as well uh and dominic diamond asks her you know tell me one nice thing about guernsey she's got a couple in the chamber here because she says guernsey people are friendly the beaches are nice and the games are cheaper so basically nice people nice beaches tax breaks that's the guernsey tourism (laughs) board all sorted what follows next legitimately sent a piss shiver up my spine where Dominic goes, that was three things. <laughs> like, I'm just like, is there an axe hidden somewhere? Is this going to go south very quickly? Nervous laughter. We carry on. We carry but on. Bloody hell. I think we just discovered a pet peeve of Mr. Diamond. It's like, I asked for one or two things. You gave me three. Well, I think that's because he sets it up for spoilers when she completes this challenge. But we'll get to that in a moment, because first we're going to be introduced to Frank O'Connor from Super Action in the Booth, who's not been to Guernsey, but he has dreamed about it in a very special way. The tax breaks. (laughs) Cheap games. Uh, And he does one of my favorite things when you have people in the booth on Games Master, which is when they tell you, you've got to get 200 coins but there aren't 200 coins on screen unless you find that hidden area. We're back to the Sonic thing here. And this is a, this is a trick challenge, which again, I love because it's like, Oh, you need to know the level. You don't just need to be good at the game. You need to know the level, know where to go. And also in the case of Mario world, know how to take advantage of what was the newer game mechanic. Now Mario could fly in Mario brothers three via the, the raccoon tail. Yeah. But but the flying mechanic was very different in Mario World, uh, particularly with the, uh, the the lift at the takeoff yeah. and the ability to swoop and use the air current to catch and come back up. Still one of my favorite flying mechanics in a Mario game. It's wicked. So, yeah. so good. So yeah, so Catherine just bombs it through this level because she knows I've got to get to that hidden world as quickly as possible. I don't need to worry about picking up coins as I go here because there's thousands of them in the hidden area. So I just need to swoop through that a few times, get my 200 and bomb it out of here. Yeah, she takes off with a plomb is the word I use because yeah. I'm like, she's not messing about. This is a speed run. She becomes Super Mario fairly quickly. She loses it again, but then she recovers it. She gets that Super Mario just so that she can have an extra hit. Yeah. It's not really a case of she wants it. She's so it's like no because if i run fast enough it doesn't matter if i take a hit the air horn's back <laughs> <laughs> she's running around it's like 10 seconds gone and the air horns but she gets into it she gets the cape she just uses her wicked sweet cape skills and she's just flying through all of these coins i i wasn't a fan of frank o'connor though i thought he was a bit boring on his commentary he was just like yeah she's got it yeah it's coins there still has quite a few coins to collect. that's right to be honest, you're right, but also she blazed through this. If she'd made mistakes, there'd be more to say, but there really wasn't. She knew the level. She knew what she was doing. She did one good swoop through the coins when she got to the hidden area. She then landed. She took off. She did another swoop. She got 200 and one coins. <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate. I hope it was because it made me laugh because I'm like, oh, you needed 200 coins? 
201. Thank you very much. Um, she makes it through to the end of the level with two seconds to go. But it was her own doing. She should have made it through with four. But she was so excited that by the end, she jumped and the wind current caught her. So she flew up into the air and nearly missed the bar. Yeah. And even when she got out of the bonus area, she was great. She was using the cape attack. Yeah. Which I think is a vastly underestimated weapon in Mario's arsenal during that game. Yeah. <laughs> arsenal. Well done, Catherine. That has to be one of the most staggering displays I've seen from anyone in the garb of the famous plumber. Did you have any problems at all? I was pretty confident and I thought I was going to do it. Okay, well, Catherine, Guernsey has another interesting thing now because, Catherine, you are the winner of tonight's Games Master Golden Joystick! <laughs> And she was very confident in her post-match interview. She says as much. She goes, I'm very I was very confident. I thought I was going to do it. And I did it. And uh, this is where I think Dominic Diamond was. He's, you know, he started off the interview by asking for one interesting thing because that could set him up for his follower. Whereas like, now there are two interesting things about Guernsey and it's you with the Games Master Golden Joystick. But she gave him three. She f***ed up his punchline. <laughs> That's why he was so cold. Exactly. <laughs> Thing is, he could have gone for a retake. He could have said, uh, production, can we roll back again? Say one thing this Just time. one thing. It's very important. So yes, yeah, so she wins her Games Master Golden Joystick to rapturous applause. Very, very fun challenge. Bloody loved it. This week, guard your mouse fingers as we look at role-playing games. First up on the Super NES, defeat dastardly dragons in Draken. When first playing Draken, it didn't take me long to discover that the plot is so linear that I wouldn't be surprised if British Rio had a hand in the design. At times the animation really isn't as smooth as it could be. I spent a very long time trying to fight what I thought was a blob of jelly. I think it turned out to be a plague of rats in the end. The story goes that the Draken have left the countryside barren, which perhaps explains why there's nothing actually to do in the game. Right, well, let's find out what we got in the review section. It's RPG week with a buxom redhead to open up the proceedings on screen. Yeah, they were carefully picking and choosing <laughs> their footage and captures for this one. Uh, so we've got Ian Ross, Christina Ersk of PC Review, and Gus Swan from Me Machines doing our reviews this week. And first up, we've got Draken on the SNES. Not an original title to the SNES, an Amiga and Atari ST port. Yeah, from a few years previous where it got more favourable reviews because, spoilers, it didn't do that good here. But it was kind of groundbreaking on the Amiga and the Atari ST because 3D Overworld, it was quite an in-depth game. But where they biffed it on the snares was with the translation. Yeah, now this is really interesting stuff. Because the Amiga and Atari version had a big overall story. It came with a supporting book with fiction and prose by Gary Gygax in it. Bloody hell. Yeah. None of that came with the SNES version. <laughs> and what you ended up with, particularly on the English version, was the original plot was translated to Japanese mm -hmm. and then was translated back to English. And a lot was lost in translation. So I've got it here that it was uh, the storyline for the SNES game is a result of broken translation. Uh, Draken was developed by a French team, which was then translated into Japanese for the Super Famicom and then translated back into English with help from French developers. That's a, that's a, that's a rich fondue pot there. That's, that's a couple of different cheeses in the blend. That's, that's something special. So this is directly from Wikipedia. 
the source of all good gaming knowledge. To exemplify the telephone effect of this, the original game contained a French translation of an Emily Dickinson poem as quoted by a mysterious wizard, and that French translation of an English poem was then translated into Japanese, and then translated back into English from Japanese. So the version of the Dickinson poem that survived into the SNES version of the game is almost unrecognisable and difficult to comprehend. I imagine they essentially they took normal prose and turned it into Vogon poetry by the end. <laughs> yeah. Ian Ross says that it's so linear, British Rail must have made it. Or oh, we're in the 90s now. All oh, the snark. Ooh, have that with a slice of coffee from a British Rail van. <laughs> Uh, well, Christina says that the animation isn't smooth and she spent ages fighting a blob of jelly only to find out it was a plague of rats. That's an easy mistake to make. I've made that in real life. But I like Gus's comment where he says that the storyline of Draken is that they've left the countryside barren, which might explain why there's nothing to do in the game. Woof. <laughs> 46%. The Amiga and Atari version did a lot better. Oh, yeah. Four out of fives, 83s. Uh, high praise, including from Paul Rand of CVG. Yeah, he gave it 83%. Nowadays, the SNES version has a cult following in the same way that a lot of games that are kind of awkwardly bad gets a cult following <laughs> yeah. nowadays. Next on the PC, travel back to pre-Bundesbank medieval Germany in Darklands. Darklands is mean, moody and magnificent. The presentation of the game is superb. The graphics are lavish and it works very well. The sheer size of the play area and the complexity of the gameplay makes sure I'll return to it again and again. Up next, we've got Darklands on the PC, an early example of open-world RPGs. And bloody expensive to make as well. Cost $3 million. Whoa! For three years. Crikey, that is big. This game had kind of contrasting opinions when it came out in 92. So Scorpia loved the historical setting and its, you know, its use of religion, but criticised its repetitive encounters and sort of a lot of the bugs that came around it. And then later called it the perfect example of a fine idea gone wrong. It did have a lot of bugs, and this is another microprose game. And rather than offering to send in floppy disks for the patch, because I believe we had that on one of the previous did, Flight yeah. Sim games, these patches were distributed by bulletin board systems. And then once one person had it, they could copy it and give it to a friend, the patch and the update. Uh, there was going to be an Amiga version, that never happened. Again, this game is now, I think, regarded more fondly in retrospect particularly because it was that more open world feeling yeah. and it was certainly groundbreaking in that regard. But interestingly, Todd Howard cites the game as an influence on the Elder Scrolls. Yes, you're right. I think I saw that probably looking at the same article, Wikipedia yeah. or something else. But. but in the review, Christina calls it mean, moody and magnificent, while Gus says the presentation is superb, while Ian says the complexity of the game makes you want to return to it again and again. 84%. You can tell Gus really liked it because he earned one of the infrequently seen fast forward moments where he was clearly saying so much that they just went, skip to the end. Skip to the end. And move on. And finally on PC, Lupine mutations and other irritations in Legends of Valor. Legends of Valor is completely unrivaled in its level of detail and complexity. I enjoy playing Legends of Valor a lot. I think it would also be a good game for people who haven't played many RPGs before because it is so easy to get into. And finally, we've got Legends of Valor on PC with Computer Gaming World saying that it was a stimulating new perspective on fantasy role-playing, but also said it had a general lack of atmosphere. And I like this because it's maker SSI. They made grandiose claims about the game as well as Spelljammer Pirates of the Realm Space, a D&D game. But uh, C uh, Computer Gaming World said that these two games could threaten the company's long-standing reputation of quality. Ooh. 
Yeah. It's a fairly big burn. It is indeed, but they love it here in, in Games Master. Like, you know, Dragon gave it two out of five, but again, it's been cited as an influence on the uh, the Elder Scrolls. Peterson, in fact, uh, said that there was another game that came out while we were working on Arena called Legends of Valor, which was a free-form, first-person perspective game that took place in a single city. It got pretty pitiful reviews and not many people bought it, but I really had fun with it. It's completely forgotten nowadays, but I probably logged more hours playing that than any other game. And the Amiga version, very well received, much more favourably, I think because of comparisons to what they could and couldn't do on the Amiga, they had to find different ways to do things. Got like in the 80s, maybe a couple of high 80s in reviews. But yeah, it's interesting to see how those games, even when they didn't do what they set out to do, clearly had that lasting impact. Absolutely. Like for things for Elder Scrolls. I also like Dominic Diamond's introduction to this game where he said it's lupine mutations and other irritations. Oh, that's a lovely bit of wordplay. That's a nice bit of lyrical wordplay. I like it. Yeah, they love it here. Ian says the detail is unrivaled, and Christine said it's easy to get into, so it's good for newcomers to the genre. That's an important thing, particularly with D&D RPG-style games. If you don't have a gaming system that's accessible, you're never going to break through. It's where Elder Scrolls succeeded, Yeah. particularly with Skyrim. Skyrim transcended what the genre was previously capable of. Scores 87%. That's respectable. Big, big earner. Now it's time for some hardware reviews, and its cheeky phallic references are plenty as we look at four of the latest joysticks attempting to alleviate your gaming exasperation. First, strengthen your shoryukens with the Capcom Street Fighter 2 joystick. This is pretty good. It's more like an arcade joystick, isn't it? It's got these nice, neat little buttons on here. You've got an added feature, which are these turbo sections, which enable you to keep your finger down on the button instead of repeatedly pushing it for quick action and quick kicks and punches. Definitely one for the Street Fighter 2 fans. It's good, but is it really worth the money? I don't think so. Right, let's get into the features section of this because we've got some hardware to cover because it's cheeky phallic references aplenty. Well, that's just this entire podcast. <laughs> we even get a shot of uh, previous guest star Kendo Nagasaki. Yeah, throwing down his joypad with disgust. First up, it's the Capcom Street Fighter 2 joystick. Strengthen your shoryukens. We've got Aaron Birchall. He absolutely loves it because it's got big buttons and it's got turbo buttons. It's one of those things where you, you, know, you like flick a switch and it just like constantly presses X for you. Now I've got an issue with this because he goes on, it's got this feature called turbo buttons and I'm like, that's auto fire. Yes. That, that's, it's literally rebranding auto fire. And it kind of annoyed me. It annoyed me more than it should because I'm like, you're, you're selling it like it's something big and it's really not. It's just auto fire on a multi button controller. No, no, it's different. It's called a Rover Metro now. I've rebadged it, you fool. I'm going to go to not bat for him slightly, but I would know it as Turbo as well. Like, I knew Turbo buttons because I got a Turbo button pad with my um, Mega Drive. Not on its, its initial release, but I think when my brother bought a six button pad, we had to get a slightly cheaper second one so we could have two six button pads. We didn't have two official ones. And that one had like the Turbo switches on there and i used it to great effect while playing ren and stimpy stimpy's invention because there's one of the levels on there where you have got to press a and b to cycle the pedals while also pressing c to jump while you're being chased by this lot uh, i think it's the dog pound you're being chased mm. by so i would just flick down the a and b switches on my turbo and just press my little c button to jump over the potholes oh, okay. and that's how i got through the level i suppose also as games became more uh multi-genre Auto-fire didn't work so much as a term because you weren't always firing. You were sometimes pedaling. So yeah, so I will tell myself off for that one. But also, <laughs> it's not a brand new invention. It's just 
you know, a different flavor of the same kind of jam. I also don't think it works for fighting games. No. I don't think it does. No, not unless you're really bad at them and you can't do any special moves. Like, you will not really benefit in Street Fighter 2 from this. Absolutely It not could, right. in fact, really screw up some of your chances at coming up with any combos or decent gameplay. I will say, this controller looks nice. I like the kind of slightly flared look of it, the kind of, like, the, the wings kind of aspect going on and the fact it's not just a flat rectangle. It's got a bit of sharp angledness to it. Yeah. Sharp angledness? Yeah, sure, that's a word. But no, uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, Aaron says that it's for Street Fighter of fans but it's only available on import and it is 75 quid so he doesn't think that it's worth the money <laughs> you should look at arcade controllers now <laughs> you can't buy a decent fight stick for 70 quid now based on who we get coming up in this feature i figured they were all actors so i had a look up for aaron birchall and see if i could find an actor and i did find someone who's got his name that was acting at the time he had credits on the bill uh, bbc2 playhouse dick turpin and jack Nori. So I don't know if it's the same actor. And the only, as I said, the only reason I assume he is an actor, because our next two are. Yes, our next two are not necessarily working as plants, but are definitely reading from a pre-prepared script. Yeah. Next up, floating hands action, ahoy with the U-Force. It's not like any other joystick. It's got no handle, no fire buttons or jump buttons. It works by light sensors on the equipment. The machine doesn't respond to any of your controls that you give it. It just dives all over the place. Um, it's, it's in a world of its own. Absolute world of its own. No good at all. Uh, up second, it is the U-Force Floating Hands Action Ahoy, and it is being presented by Nick Pickard, who you may know as Tony from Hollyoaks. You may know him from there. <laughs> I don't. When he came up on screen, I was like, God, that face is familiar. Where do I know him from? And all of a sudden, these flashbacks to my university years. And I was like, oh, it's Tony from Hollyoaks, which he started doing in 1995 and is still doing to this day. Wow. Hollyoaks still exists? Yeah, and Tony is still there. He did get, well, killed off and did big, you know, Bucky O'Hare bunny ears for podcast listeners, which you all are. Uh, they, they sort of <laughs> killed him off in 2019. I come from a video background of in 2019. <laughs> and he also won the British Soap Award in 2017 for Outstanding Achievement. He's also a celebrity MasterChef finalist. But yeah, Nick essentially points out what everyone has said about the U-Force, which is it doesn't work. No, it's basically a theremin for the NES. You don't touch it. You wave your hands over it like you're doing a Tommy Cooper magic bit. He basically says it doesn't respond to any of your commands and it's in a world of its own. When I looked up on Google for this, I found someone had actually rewired one to work with an Xbox One. Oh, hell. And I'm just, I'm thinking, I kind of want to get one of these just to screw around with. How much is it? I don't want one that much. Yeah. Is it more than 50 quid? Because that's how much it was in 92. Uh, no. The peripheral itself isn't, but the shipping from Canada is. Oh, okay. <laughs> A little bit about the U-Force itself, though, because mm. it was the dabbling of toes into the hardware arena for Broderbund, who produced games such as Prince of Persia, Myst, Karma San Diego. Not the most auspicious move into the console world. They should have stuck with ports of Prince of Persia and the Karma San Diego games. Yeah. Good luck getting missed on a snares. I, do you know what? Someone could probably do it now. Oh, like, yeah. The homebrew scene. I'm sure someone could like retrofit Myst into a slideshow kind of game someone probably already has guide your chassis into a slipstream or two with the logic 3 freewheel 
Now this really is the driving man's dream for any kind of driving game because it's so realistic. You just obviously turn right to right, left to left, and to accelerate you just push the, um, the whole wheel forward and then to slow down, you pull it back. It's really sensitive, but that is also a problem because it does take quite a long time to get used to it. But once you do master it, it's excellent. Basically, it gets the thumbs up for me and it's also a very good price. Up next, we've got the Logic 3 free wheel. It's a floating steering wheel, like, you know, the ones we got on the Wii uh, later in life. And this one is being presented by James Lance. I love the Beatles. Yeah, so do I. What's your favourite Beatles album then? Tough one. I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, cheers. So, uh, so who's your favourite singer then? Oh, uh, anything really, you know, Frank Sinatra, Kurt Cobain. Who's he? Nirvana. Blew his head off with a gun. Why? He was depressed. Why? Were they not very good? <laughs> no, they were great. Well, someone should have told him. Uh, who you may know from shows such as Smack the Pony, Teachers, Abfab, 2.4 Children, Saxondale. Uh, but I mostly know him from I'm Alan Partridge, because he plays one of the people in the hotel who does not like Alan Partridge and is a complete dick. And he's also in space. Yeah, he's Daisy's boyfriend, Richard. Yeah. Also, he has ties, because he appeared in a number of pilots written by Paul Rose, a.k.a. Mr. Biffo, who, of course now works alongside for some of his projects, Paul Gallon, yes. who was our guest at the end of season one. It all ties in. It all it's ties all in. circular. Yeah, a Biffo Vision in 2007. Um, for, I think it was for BBC Three. It was a pilot. It was one that made it to air, and there was another one that didn't, which I think was a Now the Weather. Mm. But they were both written by Paul Rose yeah. uh, around that time. Paul Rose, in addition to obviously doing Digitizer and other various related projects, is a scriptwriter. He, and he appears uh, in this series of Games Master as well. Yes, he does. As one of the pundits. I think it's in the Christmas episode. Yeah, he's not fond of that appearance. <laughs> uh, but James says that the uh, the wheel does take a little while to get used to, but when you do, it's great. Uh, and it's available in December and costs between 30 and 40 quid, depending on the format. Now, given that we've got essentially gyroscopic controls, which is something we didn't really get mainstream until the Wii and the PS4 DualShock 4, this is... This is pretty impressive. This is pretty cool stuff. This review, however, does feel a bit more of a marketing piece than an actual review. I mean, we've already kind of said these words were written for them. Yeah, this feels slightly fluff PC. Yeah, a little bit. I always remember when the, the steering wheel came out for the Wii and I thought, what a complete waste because the the because the, it's a motion control thing, you can just hold it in your hand and you can just do it yourself. I was like, it's just a it's a big lump of plastic. Really, what's the point? until I actually used one. And I was like, oh God, this is so comfy. Oh, this is way better. Yeah, I need to get me a load of these now so we can all use them. There was a lot of things that came with the Wii where they were like, oh, we'll make a tennis handle. Oh, we'll make a cricket handle. And some of them worked, some of them didn't. But the steering wheel ones, they were a good solid choice, especially the ones that kind of built in a couple of extra trigger buttons, the That's more it, expensive yeah. ones. Yeah, like the, the official Nintendo ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Not, not the cheap ones, which just everyone and their dog sold and you still see in clearance bins now. Finally, three cheers for consumer exploitation. It's the characteristics. Gone are the days of playing around with your own small and rather insignificant joystick. Instead, you've got the chance to deftly caress Batman's bulge or do the same with aliens, fiddly bits. Got various different characters here. They've got Terminator 2 and Bart Simpson. But on the whole, an excellent range. I'm really pretty impressed with it and I'd buy that any day. I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? 
And lastly, we've got the characteristics. Three cheers for consumer exploitation. Uh, Michael Diamond. No, not Mike D from the Beastie Boys. He may not be Mike D from the Beastie Boys, but I can tell who he is. He's the younger brother of Dominic. <laughs> well, now that you said it, because you said this to me, and I, I can now see the family resemblance. Also in the presentation style, because slightly knowing Filthmonger... Oh, <laughs> yes. Did his brother write his script for him? Because it definitely feels like he could have. But he's showing us the characteristics, which, you know what? Fair play to Cheetah. That's a great pun. Yeah, it really is. I do like that. Yep. However, the joysticks themselves are not great. We see four of the five designs here, and yeah. the fifth design was a bit of a double dip, which I'll get to. So he goes in hard and fast with the puns, saying that the days of playing with your own small and insignificant joystick are over, and instead you got the chance to deftly caress Batman's bulge. Yep, and do the same with Alien's fiddly bits. Yes, but Michael says that on the whole, he's really impressed with the range, and he'd buy them any day. Which is fun, because they were <laughs> <laughs> They used contacts rather than micro-switches. They were just abhorrent. They were also really uncomfortable, because yes, they had spiky bits, they had fiddly bits. They were fairly accurate castings of the characters. And if you look at the alien, at no point do you think, that make a good joystick. The Terminator one in particular, because it is just the T-800 head, it looks like it'd be so uncomfortable to hold for any number, like any amount of time. Yeah, I'm still keeping an eye out for the alien one. I still kind of want that alien one. But there were actually five, technically, because we're shown four here. Alien, Terminator, Bart, and Batman. They double dipped on Batman because you've got this one, which is the Keaton Batman, which I'm guessing would be tying in with Batman Returns. Uh, oh, yes, I would have thought so because it came out before this period, yeah. Yeah. However, they retooled slightly, and I'm fairly certain it was just a slight retooling rather than an entirely new sculpt. Painted Batman's body grey, whited out the eyes, lighter skin tone, boom! Batman the Animated Series. You'll still see those on eBay. You'll see both available. And if you go looking for these on eBay, you'll see the price. And that is why I don't have an alien one on my shelf for Securio. <laughs> what I love about this, it ends off with, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Someone that doesn't have any decent taste in joysticks. <laughs> but they'll all be on display at Games Master Live, which we will be doing a bonus episode on. So please get in your stories and tales of Games Master Live to us. Please do. But it's time to get into our celebrity challenge. So let's head on over to Games Master and find out what we're doing. My next challenge is the unsavory title of Soccer Brawl. Futuristic gladiators wage war on each other under the skimpy guise of a football match, using supercharged ballistic shooting powers to blast the opposition. To keep the carnage to a minimum, I've limited the game to two one-minute halves. My gaze will be most decidedly averted. Ooh, he doesn't like this game, does he? He doesn't, know. It's too violent for Games Master. He even says he's going to be looking away from the screen as the action happens. And to limit down the carnage, we're going to have only one 60-second halves. Yeah, I can't remember the last time he showed this much disdain for a challenge. But... Guess what? We've got a football game. It's on the Neo Geo, and it's actually something a bit interesting. Yeah, this is probably like Windjammers. You had Windjammers, you had this, you had to kind of think a cyborg baseball one. I don't think they went near basketball, but they were doing fun stuff. This was of the same ilk as Speedball. Yeah. And where the players had special powers. The gameplay was fairly simple. You selected one of eight or so teams. 
you held down buttons for power shots. Each team had a player that had special powers or special abilities. Yeah, your captain. Yeah, your captain. Well, they'd also play at different positions mm. as well. Yeah. So there would be a there would be kind of a differing gameplay mechanic between every team. But yeah, it's fun. It's big. It's bold. It it's exactly what I want from a Neo Geo game, and it's also spoilers exactly what I want from a sports challenge on Games Master. It's fun. And we've got the perfect person for it as well because Callum Green is going to be taking on one of the hardest men in football, Vinnie Jones. Welcome, Vinnie. Welcome, Callum. Now, Vinnie, do you get a chance to play a lot of computer games? Yeah, I've just got one, uh, Commodore. Oh, yeah. yeah. Any, any favourite games on that? I like playing the golf games and football games. And them, yeah. All right, now, Carl, on the football pitch, this man takes no prisoners. Have you got a couple of surprises up your sleeve for him? Oh, I'm going to keep them secret, but hopefully a different ball game today, yeah. Okay, then. Right, if you'd like to take your positions, Vinny on the right, Callum on the left, we'll get ready to kick off. What a great get to in 1992. A perfect celebrity for this challenge. I mean, was he on suspension at this point? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know if he, he might have been at this point. He won the FA Cup with Wimbledon in 88, but he was famous for that photo that was taken of him the year previous where he was grabbing Gaza by the balls. It's the photo they always use for Vinnie Jones and for Gaza, actually. I mean, it shows them both in their best light. <laughs> he also holds a record for the quickest ever booking in football in a 1992 FA Cup tie with Chelsea for the quickest booking, three seconds. Three seconds after the opening whistle, he was booked for a foul. Yeah. And he even referred to this incident in his autobiography where he's like, I must have come in early on the, t on the challenge. There's no way I could have come in late. Yeah. <laughs> he also presented uh, a video released in 92 called Soccer's Hard Men, which featured archive footage of like many other hard men in football. And he got fined for making this video because essentially the FA fined him £20,000 with a six-month ban um, because he brought the game into disrepute. But what makes these men a breed apart? What makes them kick? Your guide to the men of grit and guile is today's self-confessed creator of Havoc, Vinnie Jones. I mean, what is hard? Is it is hard not flinching in a tackle? I think that's what it means. If the ball's there to be won, and you've got to go in to win that ball for your team, and maybe you, you are going to be in a 40-60 situation, and you've still got to go in. And I think that's what all I think that's what these lads in this video are all about. Man, I'm amazed the entire Wimbledon wasn't fine for that one because yeah, they were the bad boys of football. They were almost a wrestling faction. <laughs> they they could have rebranded as Wimbledon NWO and yeah. and you know come out to Jimi Hendrix and it would have been entirely on brand for them. Uh, in 1998, he moved into the world of film, starring in Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels for uh, Guy Ritchie. And then from there, he's just essentially been a film star. He did Snatch, Gone in 60 Seconds, Mean Machine, Eurotrip, famously, X-Men, The Last Stand, where he played the juggernaut bitch. I'm the juggernaut bitch! And of course, we all know him from Garfield, A Tale of Two Kissies. We've already mentioned wrestling once, but Lockstock also launched him briefly into the world of professional wrestling when he appeared at uh, WWF Mayhem in Manchester, I think it was. Yeah. Or was it? No. No, it was Capital Carnage. Capital Carnage. Capital yeah. Carnage. When he at the London, he, London he, Arena. He came on, came on stage. He went, It's going to be emotional. <laughs> My one line. <laughs> we do get to see Vinnie Jones again because he comes back for the Dexter Fletcher years. They have like a FIFA World Cup tournament. 
uh, with Vinny and a few other football stars. So this isn't the last we're going to see of Vinny Jones on Games Master. But when he's down on the stage, Dominic Diamond says to him, so do you play many video games, <laughs> sir? <laughs> yeah, got a Commodore. Do you, do, you, do you play games on that Commodore? Yeah, golf ones. Football, football ones. <laughs> I'm assuming he means the Amiga because I don't think the C64 had much in the way of golf games. Mm. Not notable. Whereas the Amiga that had some great football games, but you also had a good amount of golf games. There was like there was a good range there for him. I can't... I could see Vinnie Jones playing a Mega Drive. Oh, yeah. And I think when we get to Series 3, he's definitely on the Mega Drive bandwagon. I would be scared to be Vinnie Jones' Amiga. I'd be scared. I'm just scared of Vinnie Jones at this point. I'm sure he can be a lovely guy. I think nowadays he's much more mellow. He's definitely broadened his um, his abilities. But at this point, I'd be scared to be in the same room with him. And he is stoic yeah. at this point. <laughs> yes. I feel bad for Callum, who I'm pretty sure is me from the future. <laughs> Yeah, I can see yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's wearing a baggy t-shirt and his long shorts. And I'm like, oh, it's it's me in 2020, but it's there in 92. Yeah. Are, are you planning to travel back in time anytime well, soon? Well, I mean, once I get those glasses. Yeah. Because I've, I've actually got really good vision at the moment. So I, I've clearly I'm about to lose my vision at some point. <laughs> but Callum says he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve and hopefully it will be a different ball game today. Spoilers, it's not. But before we get to that, Jeremy Doldry is in the booth and his only bit of advice is to, he tells Callum, play as dirty as you can. Yeah, it's Japan versus Korea. That's a politically charged uh, <laughs> matchup. That, that's actually aged remarkably well because we don't think we get South Korea or even North Korea. It's just Korea. This is a point in the future where there is no dividing line. And unfortunately, I suspect it's not gone the way some of us would hope. Uh, well, Vinny scores right away. Pretty much they kick off and Vinny scores. 12 seconds. That's it. <laughs> Boom. They cut to Vinny for reaction. He raises his fist, but otherwise looks like he's about to kill someone. Well, the person he's about to kill is his own player because he power shots right into one of them. That's Wimbledon tactics, that is. That's, <laughs> that's, that's straight from the pitch to the video game. Callum just can't get anywhere past him. Like, this is all Vinny in the first half. Vinny, and it's not because Callum's playing badly. This is Vinny really does play a lot of football video games. Plus also, Callum is sat next to Vinny Jones. I'd be off my game as well, I think. Yeah, completely. Uh, Callum only gets one attack in this whole half where he essentially passes it to the keeper very lightly. Yeah, Vinny gets the second goal and is now smiling which is scarier than him being stoic faced. He's smiling or he's got trap gas and needs to be burped. Don't well, tell him I said that. <laughs> so it's halftime here at Games Master Stadium. Vinny Jones is leading Callum Green by two goals to nil. If you want to find out the outcome of this amazing soccer challenge, join us after the break. <laughs> Sayat Toledo. In shape for a demanding world. Seat Toledo from just eight thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine pounds. Official car of the Barcelona Olympic Games. Stay calm. Concentrate on the screen. Street Fighter 2 is on Super Nintendo. 
from the arcades, the ultimate combat game. Each fighter has a different technique, an acrobatic move, a hidden punch. It's on the streets now, exclusively on Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo with Street Fighter 2. It's unbeatable. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of Under Consultation is brought to you in part by our wonderful backers over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod. And those lucky buggers have already heard this episode and have got next week's episode downloaded a week early and ad-free. With challenges on Fire and Ice and Mario Lemieux Hockey, a celebrity challenge featuring an official Navy helicopter simulator, and loads of chat about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time, which gets reviewed by miserable Jazz Rignall. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod pod to get that episode right now a week early and ad free and a whole host of bonus content did you know seals can stay underwater for nearly two hours without breathing isn't that amazing that's not amazing mcdonald's is doing a bacon double cheeseburger medium fries and medium soft drink for just two pound seventy that is amazing gets my seal of approval Joined us in the middle of soccer brawl on the Neo Geo. Vinnie Jones is leading young upstart Callum Green by two goals to nil. Are our two competitors ready? Yep. Then kick off the second half. And the survey says... <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, he could not come back from that. Dominic Diamond said, we've not changed halves because that's for big girls' blouses. We're changing halves, Dominic. The future, we don't change halves because then you'd have to clear up the bodies. <laughs> For whatever reason, I just because Vinny's very good at this game and he knows what he's doing. I don't know if Callum is as well versed in it because you look at the meters, he is struggling to get his power meter going. Like Vinny has always got his challenge. As soon as he loses it or shoots, 
He just gets it right back charged up again. But Callum, like, pretty much only gets the power meter once throughout this entire game. I wonder if this plays to something where, okay, we make the jokes about Wimbledon. To be honest, a lot of them write themselves. They did have the bad boy reputation. Vinny was a very intimidating, scary, and often booked figure. Uh, like 12 send-offs in his entire football career or something like that. Yeah. But he's also a professional football player. He's going to be disciplined because even if you're the bad boy team, you're going to go to training. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I imagine that when he got there, he would have been pretty strict on making sure he was taking the time with the game he could. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, Callum hits the post at one point. He does get some playback. He does much better in the second half, in fairness to him. But uh, it's still, it's Vinnie Jones. Uh, Vinnie Jones gets another power shot, but Callum saves that one. And they think it's all over. There are people on the pitch. It is now. And Callum just <laughs> rubs his head and he's like, oh, bollocks. <laughs> well, Vinny, you certainly looked at home there. When I see all the dirty tactics and I thought it would uh, slip into my game. <laughs> he came back at you well in the second half though, Callum. Yeah, it was much tighter. I think um, he got a bit dirtier himself and uh, sorted me out a little bit. Well, Callum, what can you got handed to the guy? He's a great player. Yeah, I think the joystick's going to the guy with the best ball control here. I think you played well today. Okay, then. Thing is, the last time we had that kind of celebrity defeat like that was Annabelle Croft in season one. Yeah. I would say... He did better than Saeed. Did better than Saeed, but also he's old enough that he won't be getting playground stick, but also he lost to Vinnie Jones. There's no shame in that. No, absolutely I'd not. I'd probably lose to Vinnie Jones. Still terrifies me. Uh, Dominic Diamond says that Vinnie made that look comfortable. And Vinnie says, yeah, I saw the dirty tactics. I knew it'd be for me. <laughs> he does say that Callum did better in the second half, got in a lot tighter, got some dirty tactics of his own. Uh, but Callum very, you know, politely says the joystick goes to the guy with the best ball control. Sneaking one in there past Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> he may not have scored a goal in the game, but he scored a goal in life. <laughs> and Dominic Diamond uh, says that the joystick is better than an FA Cup medal. Well, there's also a chance that he may still have the golden joystick because he donated the FA Cup medals to uh, Wimbledon FC and they're on display there. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, I know. Strange one, that one, actually. <laughs> Unless he delivered them by wrapping them around a brick. <laughs> Please don't kill me, Vinny. Oh, welcome up to the helipad. What's your query? On Super Mario World, when I'm flying around the ghost house in the Valley of Bowser, I can see a key, but I can't get to it. Can it be reached? It can indeed, so listen carefully. The opening is obviously too small to fly through, so collect the P-switch and return to the mystery block. Strike the block from beneath, and a fountain of coins will magically appear. By pressing right, then up on your D-pad a few times, this stream of golden currency can be guided to create a series of steps toward the key. Then strike the P-switch, and the coins will turn into blocks which you can ascend to reach your goal. Thanks a lot. Think nothing of it. Right, we head into the consultation zone. Guess what? The first kid's stuck on Super Mario World. I said in episode one, spoilers, it's going to come up a lot. And here it is again. Uh, this kid can't get the key in the ghost house in the Valley of Bowser. Oh, I mentioned before about listening to the score on Super Mario World. The ghost house is some of my favorite yes. music. Oh, 
Yeah. It's great stuff. Let's, let's just pack it in. Let's just go and play for the next half hour. Let's go and play Mario World. Um, <laughs> by the way, you've got to get the uh, the P block, create your stream of coins, and then use the P block to get through the small hole. Now, interestingly, Games Master said, obviously, the hole is too small. You cannot fly through it. But speedrunners now, that's how they get it. They get the cape, and they, they are so good that they can squeeze themselves through there through amazing, like, you know, button control and get through that hole without having to do the P-switched uh, trick. Hello, Games Master. I have a problem with Rex Nebula and the gender vendors. I can get out of the underwater cave, but then a large lady falls on me. You're closer than you realize, young man. From the pool, you will need to head right until you reach a pit surrounded by leaves. Collect some of this fallen foliage and use it to camouflage the pit. Bait this trap with the delicious Twinkie fruit and simply stand back. The fruit of your labor can now be seen as the obese but somewhat dense woman is lowered towards your cunning trap. She'll fall into the hole and plug that perilous pit for the rest of the game. Well, thank you. Uh, our second man is an older gent um, who's having a dubious tash. <laughs> Yeah. It is a dubious touch. This one is, yeah. And he's having an issue on Rex Nublar and the Genderbenders. Rex Nublar and the Cosmic Genderbender, to give it its proper title. But colloquially, to him, Rex Nublar and the Genderbenders. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's 1992, of course. You can get out of the underwater cave, but then a large lady falls on him. So what you've got to do is you've got to get this pile of leaves and put it over the pit, put some food bait on the uh, pit, and then the large lady will fall into the trap so you can walk on by. Yeah, the, the food stuff is a Twinkie fruit, which I love in the concept, but I hate the fat shaming. <laughs> However, this game was Microprose desperately playing catch up with LucasArts. This oh, was yeah. their first big adventure game. I've not played it. I'm probably not likely to play it, but I do think it looks good. It definitely looks like they came in guns a-blazing to try and take on uh, LucasArts. It's had 256 color palette. They were doing all sorts of fun stuff with pre-rendered 3D graphics. And the animation looks nice and smooth as well. Yeah. We had adult games at the end of season one. This feels like an odd game to slip into the consultation zone. Hello, Games Master. How can I help you? On Red Gravity, I can't seem to kill the Guardian on level 9. What should I be doing? There's a perfectly good reason for this. He can't be killed. Flower at his feet and he'll move towards you. At this point, leap lively over him and proceed to cross the fire pit with your transporter. By so doing, you will live to fight another day. Thanks. Our third child is stuck on rad gravity. He can't beat the Guardian at the end of level 9 and Games Master tells him that's because you can't beat him. You've got to shoot him to make him move, then jump over him and use the teleportation to get across the lava and escape through the door. Trixy game, I like that because your default thought is end of level boss must get past him, can't actually defeat him. However, that's kind of like Bowser. Yeah, because you, you don't necessarily defeat Bowser in a lot of levels. You just have to get over him. But the trappings of rad gravity are different enough. I imagine it lulled you into a false sense of security, especially as there are other bosses that you can shoot to defeat. But no, it, would, it was generally well-received. It was considered quite good at the time. It's weird to see it in this... <laughs> it's weird to see it here, though. Only because we've gone from, like, Super Mario World and uh, Rex Nublar with the sort of, like, the LucasArts style. On Both 1992 games. On this, you know, on this episode alone, we've had um, Soccer Brawl, 
and we've had Super Mario World in the opening. You know, we had Street Fighter 2 in Episode 1. We've had sort of like a lot of these big new games. This feels so archaic. It was 1990, so... In, yeah, in, in Series 1, this really would have felt at home. This would have felt in place. But in Series 2, it feels so archaic. Is there a chance that this may be some leftover consultations over from Series 1 because it was all green screen. Yeah, you're absolutely There's right. There's nothing to say that it couldn't have been. Or maybe they are conscious that not everyone at home will have had the latest and greatest. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it, it just really struck out to me. No, definitely. It was such a current and futuristic episode that this game did stick out. But at least it was a good game. Yeah, absolutely. And not Zelda for the NES. Again. Again. <laughs> well, it's all right. A Link to the Past is coming out soon, so we can get a lot of that instead. I'm fine with that, because that's a game I could watch and listen to for ages. Uh, well, uh, instead of going to old Chrome Dome for our final challenge, we're going to go to Dominic Diamond, because we've got a special challenge to end off this show. Now it's time for tonight's final challenge, but instead of going back to Chrome Dome for it, we've got something a little bit special lined up. And I'd like to welcome back one of our guests from the first series, he is undefeated for over three years at games playing, one of the greatest games players in the world, the Sega European champion, Danny Curley. So um, listen, Danny, we know that you actually, your job is actually as a games tester. Yeah. So how many hours a day do you play? Seven. <laughs> yeah. Now, Danny, because you're so good, this isn't just any old challenge. What we're going to do, we're going to throw it open to the audience. Anybody in the audience can nominate any Sega game and you will take them on at it. How, how do you feel? Uh, I'll go with it anyway. Hey, Danny Curley's back. Yeah, he's back and he's still not terribly confident on the yeah, mic. Yeah, he's as awkward as ever. When we saw him in season one, he was a games tester and uh, clearly the crunch hours are off now because he was what, doing... He was doing 10 hours. He was doing 10 hours and now he's only down to seven. So it's not a crunch period, which is odd because this would be the build up to Christmas. You'd have thought he'd have been right in the crunch testing, making sure all those shonky US gold movie tie-ins are ready to go to the shelf. Uh, but Danny is still our Sagan European champion who is undefeated for four years. Okay, so if there's anyone in the audience who fancies their chances on any Sega game, please stick your arms up. Okay, right, there's uh, quite a fair few there with their arms up. And uh, oh, tell you what, there's a rather enthusiastic young gentleman there with a quite natty little cap on. Could you please come down, please? Give a round of applause for our challenger. Another <laughs> Games Master. Hi. Now, what's your name? John Morrison. And where have you come from today, John? We're in Hertfordshire. Okay, lovely. So, what's your challenge for Curly then? I want to do a speed challenge on Sonic. So, what, any particular level? Spring Yard Zone 2. Right, speed challenge on Spring Yard Zone 2. How can you, do you think you can do that, Curly? Yeah, I'll have a crack at beating him. Um, so what we've got here is that Dominic Diamond is opening it out to the audience where anyone can throw their hand up and challenge Danny at any Sega game. And Danny has to take them on. Throws it open to the audience and that person can challenge them on any Sega game that they have on set. Pretty much exactly it, yeah. So Dominic picks out a guy in a natty hat who comes down wearing a Master of Puppets t-shirt. I was going to say, this guy's just come off the Monsters of Rock tour. Oh, He's a roadie. Yes. I respect this look. I <laughs> love this dude. Okay, hypothetical. Let's say that this was a real open challenge and you could name any Sega game at all. You might pick something where you're actually going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, something that might have a versus bent to it or the ability to hope that he might slip up in the heat of competition. To challenge someone like Danny Curley to a speedrun 
on Sonic 1 at this point, particularly given that's how he won the title? Yeah, it's a bold move. It's a very bold move. Does it pay off? No. No, it doesn't. Yeah, this is John Morrison from where in Hertfordshire who wants a speed challenge. From where? Hertfordshire. Where? Hertfordshire. Where? <laughs> Sorry, that took me far too long to get into that. I was like, did I get it wrong? Um, yeah, he wants a speed challenge. <laughs> me. <laughs> it's a late recording session, folks. Uh, so we want a speed challenge on Spring Yard Zone 2 on Sonic the Hedgehog. And I've got to think that this guy was picking. Yeah, he won't know that one. Like, it's a too obscure level. Like, I didn't pick Green Hill Zone. I didn't pick Marvel Zone. I picked Spring Yard 2. Yeah. Be, that's going to throw Danny off. because yeah, A warrior's I, choice. I've, <laughs> I've been practicing on Zone 2. He'll he'll won't know exactly which one that is. This is definitely my challenge for the win now. What a fool. And joining me in the commentary box tonight is Dave Perry from Sega Pro. Dave, welcome back to Games Master. Great to be back, John. Okay, now any tips you can give John for this uh, level on Sonic? It's a speed challenge, so stick to the top of the screen and just go like the clappers. Okay, great. Dave Perry is uh, not in his final form yet, but he has got a vest now and is with Sega Pro. Yeah, he's he's evolving. He's slowly regenerating. <laughs> he's still like the second incarnation of Dave Perry. When he gets to the Tom Baker incarnation, that's when he becomes the game's animal. Uh, he tells John to stick to the top of the screen and go like the clappers. And John does that. You know, he sticks to that. He, he has a route that he wants to take on this. He knows what he's doing. But unfortunately, right at the start, he uses the spring, but breaks before he gets to the bumper that will send him down. My exact note was just two words. Biffs it. Yeah, he does. He does. It completely and biffs it. It falls apart at that point because the thing is, he goes through, he does get hit by a couple of enemies. It's not a particularly exciting run. And he gets 49 seconds. Yes. Um, it's Dominic, a respectable time. It is a respectable time, yeah. Dominic Diamond at one point said some baddies are coming up his derriere. They are unnerving baddies because they have to get past you before you can actually kill them. Yeah. So it's quite a... Yeah, it's quite an intimidating thing. But if you've been practicing it, he would know that. Yeah, exactly. Particularly when you're speedrunning this. I like it when he gets to the 22nd mark. Dave Perry says, he should be about 14 seconds at this point. Which already highlights this lad is going slow. And getting hit twice and you're ballsing up that spring at the start does not help his case. I'm wondering if when he realized he'd kind of screwed it up at the beginning, if it just threw him off his stride. I think so as well. Because he's not a bad Sonic player. No. He knows this zone. He knows it, yeah. He knows which bits to hit and which bits not to hit. He doesn't fall down the trap, which would slow his time down immeasurably. But he does make it through 49 seconds. Yeah, which Dave Perry says, you know, it's an excellent time, but barring nerves, he thinks that Danny's got this. And yeah, guess what? Danny's well better at this game and he uh, and he wins. He does it in 40 seconds. Yeah. It was perfect playing. Yeah. Four years, truly, to be this good takes ages <laughs> yeah. like really it is like he takes no hits he knows exactly where everything is and he just he absolutely nails it yeah it, it's a beautiful piece of speed running he makes it look effortless oddly and i think this may be the palentia c thing and what i'm now used to is full speed sonic there are moments where i'm thinking wow this feels slow yeah right yeah it, it just feels slightly floaty mm. but but still it was a brave effort it was a good and fun challenge, but ultimately, plank. Plank. <laughs> now, John, bad luck, mate. Um, but it was, it was a very good time you got there. So, so what, what was the difference in the end, do you think? 
Well, I think I lost it on one of the jumps, but uh, for me, it was a good time. Okay, great. Now, Daniel, there's no, there's no golden joystick for you, Daniel, because you're far too good. And what we're going to do is we're basically keeping you on each week until someone can beat you. Are you, are you happy with that? Do you think we'll actually find someone who can beat you? It's a long and hard, but one day. All right. John says he lost it on one of the jumps, and we find out that Danny doesn't get a joystick because he's too good. They just keep him on retainer. Basically, they're keeping him there as the dancing monkey until someone can unseat him. And this is the only time where Danny feels confident. Because, you know, Dominic Diamond says, you're going to be back here next week. We're going to find you a new challenger. And he goes, you'll have to look hard to find one. It's the only time he really feels like he is confident in his skin. I wonder if he was legitimately worried for a bit that, like, this person could have me. Especially, actually, if he had... Okay, working on the hypothesis that it was a plant and that they'd both had time to rehearse backstage. They'd have probably seen each other play. 49 seconds is respectable. The dude did know the area. So, yeah, Danny could have been a bit nervous because also he was the Sega champion. If he had lost on TV... In his first curly challenge... Yeah, he'd have been... I don't know, he'd have been out on the street orally pleasuring tramps for... <laughs> Skag. Skag. <laughs> uh, Throwback. <laughs> well, we've got salmon and broccoli quiche tonight on Auntie Mauritius' menu. Oh, not so sure on the salmon, but I do like a bit of quiche. I'm not a quiche man, unfortunately, but salmon, during my meat-eating days, I did like a bit of salmon. Mm. Oh, well, you have the salmon, in theory. In theory. I'll have the quiche. <laughs> in theory, and we can split the broccoli. Perfect. Well, that was episode three. It's in the books. Uh, what did you make of it? I love that episode. Yeah, even same if here. We, even if we leave aside the fact that those joysticks from Cheetah were absolute shit. It was a great episode. The reviews were good. The challenges were good. Everyone was firing on all cylinders. We had Dominic Diamond coming in in a cape. You put a cape on something, immediately it goes up in my books. You know, you could put a turd in front of me, and if you put a cape on it, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> I'm interested now. I'm not sure why there's a turd, but the fact he's got a cape means that there's an air of mystery. Mm. Great challenges, great guest. Vinnie Jones was both stoic and charismatic at the same time, still terrifying. Great games. We had a sporting challenge that wasn't just vanilla. Yeah. And we had the inaugural Danny Curley challenge, which, brave but failed, but still entertaining. We had three golden joystick winners, technically. Yeah. Because while Danny didn't get the golden joystick, he, he still won. Yes. And we had a celebrity upset by defeating... The player. The player. Two times in a row. Because Frank Bruno... Yeah. Bruno won it last week. Yeah. yeah. Which also hasn't happened much in the entire series to date. But no, I like this episode. Episode one. Hmm. Episode two. Big thumbs up. Because it's more of the same... I'm not going to go quite as high as 93% because it is just, it's more of the good consistency. So I'm going to drop a couple of percent for a median and go to 91. No, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely fair enough. And I completely agree with you. Loved the Super Mario World challenge. Really enjoyed the review section. Loved the features bits. Just simply because we had Tony from Hollyoaks and we had James Lance from I'm Alan Partridge. And I, Vinnie Jones was so good and it was such a fun challenge as well. The consultation zone had some good moments in it and I love the curly challenge. Like I'm, I'm putting my cards on the table here. I love the curly challenge. I love the concept of it. I love the fact that it was Sonic. I love the fact that it was a speed uh, challenge. I love the fact that it was a random level from Sonic. It just like everything combines to it. And I've, 
as a spoiler for future episodes, this is the only curly challenge that I really like. I wanted it to be more like this one. I, I'd have preferred more of the curly challenge to be like this one. But I loved this episode. I didn't love it as much as last week's episode. So like you, I'm also going to go down a couple of percent. I'm going to go down to 92% on this episode. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I'm in love with Series 2 of Games Master. Series 1 had ropey moments. First episode of Series 2 had some decidedly ropey moments because they were a little bit too in love with the opening gag, perhaps. But episode 2, episode 3... It's not completely smooth sailing. There are some choppy waters ahead in this season. But right now, the ocean's calm, the skies are blue, the helipad is bathed in sun. It's a good time to be on the rig. It really is. But that's going to do us here for tonight. We're going to go on a bit of Sammy Paul. We're going to split some Sam Scott Oh, yeah. I'm very much looking forward I think our nutritious will be absolutely fine when we can die. But we'll see you all in seven months. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.